We come tonight to um, the last section, a little last, I, I want to call it a couplet, but it's really not a couplet, but the last little section of Romans 12, it's, it consists of three verses. Um, I, let me read it to you. It's 19, 20, and 21, um, but uh, again, you, you'll see that it's all related material. Um, Paul says, Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, as I said, those three verses form a unit. Um, verse 19 assumes that verse 18 has been observed. That is, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, that is, it assumes that we have exhausted all, all means of conciliation. Having done that, all right, what now? Um, what, what, what direction for me, what, what direction do I now take, Paul? In reply, um, we see that Paul instructs, um, or gives a few details as to the right response that is expected out of God's people. Number one, we are not to avenge ourselves. Okay? If we are not to avenge ourselves, what then are we to do? We are told, we are to leave it. We are to leave it to the wrath of God. <laughs> with that statement, guys, we are um, we are face to face with perhaps the most hated, the most um, uh, said said I guess stupidly the most unpopular. Um, of all the, the part, various parts of the Christian message, this is the one that is the most hated. That is, that there is such a thing as wrath. I am, it, it is expected that I, um, that I never avenge my own, uh, uh, offenses. But what I am called to do is to leave it. To leave it with God's wrath. For it is written, and which, by the way, is a quote from Deuteronomy uh, 32, I think. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Just about every word in there, <laughs> at least every key word, is a very, um, very unpopular notion. The idea of I will repay. The idea of retribution. The idea of vengeance. Vengeance. What, where in the world did that come from? Um, and then, the, of course, the idea of wrath. It's all unpopular, ladies and gentlemen. It is all... Um, uh, if not hated, it is, it is re-explained in such a way that it will be tolerable to a postmodern mind. Let's see if we can deal with it. Um, I, very honestly, the... The, the real, the real advice I think is going to come next week. It's really going to come in those last two verses, but 
Tonight we need to deal with, with the whole idea of vengeance and wrath and, and <laughs> repayment, retaliation. None of, the, none of which are, are happy little notions, are they? Let's take a look. Um, what you see here, guys, is the whole reality of retribution. Eternal, divine retribution. And, um, and in this little discussion, you're going to find out a few things about it. Now, guys, the word hell is not mentioned in this, in, in verse 19. But the whole idea is, it is in the, it's, it's, it's in the backdrop of, that is, vengeance, retribution, repayment, wrath, all of that. Um, uh, consummated in a place that the New Testament calls hell. Alright, so the first instruction that we are given is, um, we do not make the situation right ourselves, or do not attempt to make the situation right. Um, injustice will be made right. Books will be balanced. But, not by you. Not, not by me. And the whole idea is very interesting. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Vengeance is mine. God claims prerogatory rights over vengeance. It is mine. It is not yours. Um, <laughs> vengeance does not belong to us. It does not belong to you. It's 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 not your work. It's God's work. It's it's God's prerogative. I am disqualified. Because of my sin. One of the reasons, ladies and gentlemen, that I am instructed to not try to balance the books is because were I to try, I couldn't do it right. It would be marred and, 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 and flawed by my own sin. Um, I am a bad judge. I don't make a good judge. I'm not fit for the task. I'm, I'm, um, I'm self-consumed. I'm 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 a, I'm self-centered. My, my perspective is limited. Consequently, because of all those things being true, leave it alone. You won't do it well. And uh, the history of mankind is a classic illustration. I, I'm going to tell you a story in a minute, but um, <clears throat> when when we were in Budapest, uh, I guess. It seems like the first Sunday we were there. I think I've told you about this guy before. His name was Dragon. We had lunch with a guy who was from, um, who was a Serbian. And, um, he was a police officer in, um, in Serbia. And, um, when, when our country, actually it was NATO who was doing the bombing, but it was directed by Bill Clinton. When, um, when the bombing started, they ran and they ended up in Hungary and they spoke very broken English and, and um, anyway, the, the story that they tell about what has taken place in the Balkans, the Serbians and the, and the uh, Kosovos and the, and the uh, Montenegrins and the, you know, this, this, this whole area of the world, folks, that has been nothing but 
vengeance on top of vengeance, and this, you did this, and then that happens, and then it just is a, it's just a horrible, you don't do it well, ladies and gentlemen, in the history of mankind, we don't do it well. Vengeance is not yours, so leave it alone. God claims exclusive rights over vengeance, so it's his. Now, we're going to come to this, this thing I will repay in just a minute, but um, I am told not to do it, but here's what I told, I'm told to do. That one's the negative, the positive. The positive is, I leave it. I leave the balancing of the books to the wrath of God. Anger is involved. Punishment is involved. And I'm telling you, it's just not a popular notion. It's that people don't like to think of God like that. Um, part of the reason we don't like to think of it is because we know that every time we're angry and we, we get out of control, we do things that are really, really bad and stupid and ugly. And so we, we kind of assign that kind of behavior to God. Well, don't, don't confuse our exercise of anger and His. Mine is usually one that is out of control. God's is always judicial. Um, when God exercises wrath, it is a judicial wrath. Um, I can't tell you the number of people under the banner of the Christian church who would tell you that wrath is inconsistent with love. And, and reject it on that basis. That is, I cannot believe that a God of love would exercise wrath. How many times have you heard that? What a popular notion it is, and it seems to be a very charitable position to be in. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, um, if you do that, um, if you eliminate this doctrine of wrath, then what you have done has, you have redefined, not only sin, but you have redefined who God is. Maybe that, maybe you think that's your prerogative. But, very clearly, Paul says that whatever offenses that exist, I am to leave them to the wrath of God who will himself balance those books in his own judicial and own sovereign and, and rightful way. Now guys, um, <clears throat> Again, I, I'll come back to this repayment thing in a minute, but um, as, as I said, the offense with the wrath of God, it, 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 it comes in various shapes and sizes. There is the, uh, the, the whole postmodern man flat out rejects the notion in toto, believing that it's consistent with the God that he believes in. Um, of course, an atheist doesn't believe in a God, so he certainly wouldn't, um, wouldn't promote anything like that. But the other suggestions, the other... Um, uh, explanations under the banner of Christianity are um, are somewhat mind-boggling. Uh, that is, that the whole idea of wrath is a is a carryover of um, the whole notion of a Victorian father. That um, uh, it's that whole thing is based on fear, and so we need to reject it as being uh, just um, a, a carryover from Victorianism. Um, 
it's a relic of the, the tribal god of the Old Testament. That is, this whole notion of wrath is inconsistent with, um, with, with Jesus and the God of the New Testament. And that, the, and that this wrath thing is something that is assigned to an Old Testament God, and we cannot borrow from it and import it into the New Testament. Um, guys, notions such as those, I, I, you know, I, I want to say to folks, you know, you, you need to open your Bible and read a bit of it. Because you do know, I'm surely you've heard this before, that the person who in the New Testament speaks more frequently about eternal punishment is Jesus Christ himself. He is the one that, that presents this, this idea with far more frequency than does, than does the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> Let me give you some examples. Do you remember the, the parable of, um, oh, um, uh, what is it? Oh, I forget what they call it, but the, the, uh, the wheat and the tares. Remember that thing? And, and, uh, you know, the, the, the workers say, go out and gather it all up and pull out the tares. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Wait until the harvest. And do you remember the last line of that parable? The last line of the parable. It is, bundle up the tares for the burning. Who said that? Jesus Christ said that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the parable in Luke 16 about the Lazarus and the rich man. Remember that parable? You know, the rich man dies, um, the, the Lazarus dies, and they both, and then the rich man sees that Lazarus is enjoying an eternity of felicity and bliss, and uh, there is this great chasm fixed. And the rich man is, you know, he just wants a drop of water to touch his tongue. What an image is that? Just give me a drop of water to touch my burning tongue. Who told that story? Jesus told that story. And the, and the most frightful line in the whole parable is, there is a great chasm fixed. Think about that. Jesus says, no, you can't go from there to there. Because there is a chasm. And it's fixed. Nothing will be done about the chasm. You know, the, the, the notion that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two different things, ladies and gentlemen, is a, is a frightful handling of the scriptures. But it is a, it is an assault on the eternality of the Trinity as well. Um, <clears throat> just, uh, oh, do you remember the, the, um, the, the, I mean, have you ever read the book of Revelation? Ladies and gentlemen, do you know that the most Christological book in the entire New Testament, the most Christological book in the entire New Testament is the book of Revelation. And what's it about? At least in, from about chapter four on, what's it about? <clears throat> it's about this, this battle that takes place between the, the kingdom of God and, and those outside the kingdom of God that ends up in this grand separation, in this burning fire. Gang, um, <clears throat> To hold on to such a notion, that is, that this idea is somewhat barbaric or um, a relic of, of Old Testament thought. I mean, 
at least you need to give that up. That is, if this is, if you find this whole idea offensive, but, but let me, let me try to convince you in just another line of argument. Guys, if you dispense with a doctrine like this, that is, if, if there is a loss of the doctrine, any doctrine, but this one will take, that's the one that's under examination. It does irreparable damage to other doctrines. I'll show you one in just a second, but there's somewhat of an ecological balance in scriptural truth um, that you cannot disturb. You must not tamper with that ecological balance that exists in, 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 in scriptural doctrine. I read someplace, where, where did I read this? Or maybe somebody told me that um, E. coli, you know that terrible dreaded thing, that there is a there is a, a a small measure of E. coli in the digestive tract. Is that true, John? Uh, and if you eliminate that, if you eliminate that that horribly ugly thing called E. coli, you are going to disrupt the whole digestive system and 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 mangle it in a in a very uh, deleterious way. But there's a certain ecosystem. There's a certain balance that exists in the in, in the in ecosystems and, and in our in our bodies and in the scriptures that is maintained that is that is balanced with the desirable and the undesirable. Guys, um, you cannot pull at a thread in a in a woven sweater because the whole thing will collapse. But in the same way, if you play um, with the with the the what you would call a bad doctrine or a, a a harsh doctrine within the historic Christian faith, you're gonna find to your absolute dismay that you have gutted some other pleasant and comfortable doctrine that you didn't want to do away with. The the loss of the doctrine of hell and judgment and retribution does irreparable damage to some of our deepest comforts, some of our our most prized truths. I'll give you an example. Um, let's say you get rid of it, or at least you're trying to. If you do, then what you have done is you have altered... The love of God, is that not something that you want to hold on to? Guys, hell is a measurement of love. Tell me, how much did Jesus actually love you? How much did the Father love his people? You can answer that if you'll go take a look at hell. But let's imagine there is no such thing. You've eliminated that. You don't like that doctrine. I'm getting rid of it. Fine. Then tell me this. How much does your God love you? What did it cost your God to save you? Where is there a cross in your God's experience? Where are the nails and the hammer and all that business? Here's my point, guys. Ironically, in your effort to make God more loving, you have made him less loving. Do you see that? 
in this notion that what I'm doing is contributing to the overall goodness of God, I have damaged the overall goodness of God. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is an ecosystem, an ecosystem, that you must not tamper with. All of it. And when Paul says you leave it to the wrath of God, that's because you leave it to the wrath of God. Guys, um, for you, if, if, if there is an inability on your part to reconcile love and wrath, then you've got to know that you, that you are ignoring clear practice and words on the part of Jesus Christ. Um, but I would suggest even further that there is no love without wrath. Um, <clears throat> let me let me try to explain that statement. Um, a wrathless God, I would suggest to you, is not a loving God. Um, loving people are filled with wrath. Um, what do we do? What do you, what do you, what do you feel when you see people you love making decisions that you know are gonna hurt them? What do you feel at that moment? You love these children of yours and you watch them make these decisions. What do you feel when you, when you see them making choices that are gonna end up making them prisoners in some jail? What do you feel about that? Well, I say, ladies and gentlemen, if you do not hate that, if there is not some anger in you about that, then you do not love your children. Because the opposite of love is not hate or or anger. The opposite of love is hate, which leads to indifference. When I I don't give a hoot, you can do anything you want to do. You go out and do anything. But if I love you, I am enraged when I see you make decisions that will ultimately harm you. And I do something to step in to prevent that. Loving people are full of anger against sin. And so is this God. The more I love my daughters the more I oppose, the more I object to the liar in them, the thief in them. You take that out of the character of God and you have emasculated Him. What you've turned Him into is a God who is indifferent. He just doesn't give a about what happens to you. Guys, I want to read you something. I'm not sure I can get back to this, but... um, I I have a a little bit of an interest in the whole Balkan area because of this guy, Dragon, and his wife who... I mean, we... (laughs) We took them out to lunch after a Sunday service, and of course, they hadn't got two dimes to rub together, and we ate in this little place, and... It's a nice little place, and and 
when we got through, I guess we spent a couple hours with them, but we were exhausted. Exhausted. <laughs> because you're trying to understand what they're saying and you're trying to, you know, in, in, they're just broken English, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, <clears throat> um, so that gave me kind of a, um, an interest in what has gone on there in the Balkans. And what has gone on is, you know, wrath, after, I mean, uh, uh, venge, vengeance after vengeance after repetition. Performed by one clan against the other clan. All of that to say this. A, a man by the name of Miroslav Wolf, his last name is spelled Wolf, but it's pronounced Wolf, who is a Croatian. And then Croatian is right, in, if you know where Croatia is. Um, he was commenting on the horrors of the fighting in the Balkans. And, and, um, he was commenting on the, the a culture that is locked in a cycle of retaliation and vengeance. The Muslims did this to us, then we're going to do that to them. And oh, they did that to you? Okay, then we're going to do this to them. And they went, mm. and, and he was commenting or trying to correct a notion that the, the thing that has fueled this, this ongoing cycle of retribution is a god of retribution. The reason that we have all this is because you, you preach about a vengeful, vengeful God. And this is what Vir, Mir, um, Miroslav Wolf has to say. Just, just, I hope I can explain this because this is wonderful. He says, a cycle of retaliation is not fueled by a belief in a God of judgment, but fueled by a lack of a belief in a God of judgment. If God were not angry over injustice, He is not worthy of worship. The practice of nonviolence requires a belief in a God of judgment. I'll come back. It takes the, oh, this is, it takes the quiet of a suburban home to believe that human nonviolence results from a belief in God's refusal to judge. If people see murder and rape, how do you keep them from being sucked into the cycle of vengeance? What do you say to them? Oh, Violence never solves anything. Such naive moralizing does not touch hearts. It shows no concern for justice. Listen to this. The only thing that will pacify the human heart is to say there is a God and He will put everything right. You, my friend, live a sheltered life. Do you get that, ladies and gentlemen? It's the people who live in the suburbs who've never seen their wife raped and their children murdered who say, well, the reason that um, that we've got such retaliation because you preach a vengeful God. Miroslav Volf says, the only way to prevent it is to say, leave it. Leave it to the wrath of God. Get out of it! 
But if you say, well, violence never does anything, it never solves anything, you've fueled human vengeance. It's only the suburban perspective that can sit back and theorize about things they know nothing of. Watch your family burned. And then try to, violence never, the only thing, ladies and gentlemen, the only thing that will prevent this ongoing, increasing cycle of vengeance taking place on top of vengeance, placing, taking place on top of vengeance, is this. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Leave it. Leave it to the wrath of God. It is utter foolishness to suggest that God is not like that. If he's not like that, ladies and gentlemen, there is no justice in this universe. And the only people who long for justice are the people who have been denied it. And once you've been denied it, then you can calm your aching heart by saying, there is a God. There is a God. And he will balance this book. And he will do it far better than I. It's utter foolishness, ladies and gentlemen. It is humanistic Western foolishness to promote such an idea. That that's barbarism. I'll tell you what's barbarism, ladies and gentlemen. To take that away from God. That is barbaric. Because then you say, the only way these books are going to be balanced is when you take up arms and you go repay your neighbor. This is our only hope, ladies and gentlemen. This is our only hope to get out of the spiral of vengeance that there is a God. and That he will do it. And he will do it far better than we will do it. Let me do one other thing and I'll quit. The whole idea of repayment. Again, ladies and gentlemen, that is such a an intolerable notion in the 21st century. Repayment. God is going to repay. Well, guys, we don't leave them to God's wrath because we hope he will get more punishment than I could give him. We, we, do, we leave him with the wrath of God just for the opposite reasons. I leave him with God because only God is capable of a just judgment. And I want you to know, well, I'll, I'll say that. This, this desire to repay on my part is, if, if, if I give vent to it, ladies and gentlemen, what I'll end up with I'll never have a satisfied heart. My heart will never be quieted until I step back and say there is a God and one day he will balance this injustice. I want to read you one thing and I'll quit because I found this in my own... I'd never seen this before. I mean, I guess I've read it. but What I am pleading with you to do, what Paul is pleading with us to do, Jesus did. Does that, uh, that shouldn't surprise us, but, 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 but just, 
I'm in, um, gosh, I'm in 1 Peter 3, uh, beginning at 21. For to this you have been called. Hold on. I think I'm right here. Yes, 21. It's, it's 1 Peter 2, 21, not 3. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Well, look at this, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to say something that is not true. It's not true. I'm just trying to illustrate my point. It's as if Jesus doesn't trust himself to exercise vengeance. So what does he do? Knowing that his father would handle it better? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, the model for all of our behavior is Jesus Christ. You know, I said this to my wife this morning. I'll say this to you. One of the problems with a legal environment, if you've ever been a part of a legalistic church, God help you if you have. It'll suck the life out of your soul. But one of the problems with legalism, ladies and gentlemen, is that we concentrate on individual sins. And so to to move on with my walk with Jesus Christ, I try to eliminate this sin and this sin and this sin. And I end up frustrated, guilty, and defeated. Gang, the way that you move on with Christ is not concentrate on individual sins. You concentrate on the beauty and the model and the person of Jesus Christ and emulating him. And then sins begin to wither away. We never focus on the sin. We focus, this is exactly what Peter says here. He has left you a model. He has left you an example. Go be like that. And then the sins, they get taken care of. Let's quit. Our Father... Every instinct, every piece of flesh in us reacts to statements like these. It is another reminder that apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, exchanging our heart of stone for a heart of flesh, there's no hope for us. And so, oh God, we we commit ourselves all over again to the beauty of the gospel. The gospel that means that at every every turn where my sin erupts, my sin is covered. My sin is covered by Jesus Christ and his completed work. 
So in all of that beauty, might we begin to see progress in our in our desire to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We, um, we make our prayer, of course, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you and good night.